we are investing $1.6 billion into our healthcare system. Big money to keep a lid on COVID through the fall. What the province is promising to keep you healthy. The death knell for nightclubs. There are so many jobs at stake. Why they say they won't survive the new restrictions. And squatters ruin a BC family's homecoming. It looked like he spent most of his time down here. The mess they found when they returned from vacation. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. The BC government is rolling out a $1.6 billion COVID action plan to get us through the fall without overwhelming the health system. It includes a major focus on immunization against the flu and a lot of new spending to expand capacity and hire thousands more health workers. Richard Zussman has the details. The next step in a fight to battle back COVID-19, the flu vaccine. And we encourage everybody who's over the age of six months to be immunized for influenza. The province announcing Wednesday a plan to prepare the healthcare system for the fall including more than $780 million in new investments. This includes funding for more at-home care to ease hospital pressure, the hiring of an additional 5,000 staff for long-term care, and 450,000 doses of the flu vaccine that weren't originally planned for a total of nearly 2 million doses in the province. BC hoping it will be a mild flu season, just like the one just finished in Australia and New Zealand. The good news that we've seen out of the southern hemisphere is that their immunization rates were very high. There will be 45,000 doses of flu zone high dose flu vaccine targeted for seniors and aimed for long-term care facilities. The province hoping they can keep cases of the flu down, work to contain COVID, and keep scheduled surgeries on schedule, and keep other parts of the healthcare system operating into the fall. This is a more flexible plan that we put together for hospitals in particular and community care uh, than in the spring. The province is looking to get creative on how they give out the immunizations, including medical health units, doctor's office, pharmacists, and even workplaces. What the province doesn't want, though, is people gathering in closed spaces to wait for the vaccine. They also hope that it will be free for anyone who needs it. In my ideal world, yes, and I think this year more so than ever. One lingering concern, sick days. Ottawa is working on a national program that is expected to be up and running to support those without benefits and those who run out of sick days. Premier John Horgan trying to figure out what to do if Ottawa fails to deliver by fall. I have been in discussion with Minister Dix and, and Minister uh, James about what role British Columbia could play uh, if there is uh, a delay. The province also planning for the worst case scenario, saying there are enough beds and ventilators to handle double the COVID cases seen in hospital during the pandemic's peak. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. All right, here's a look at the latest COVID-19 numbers. We have 100 new infections, bringing our total to 6,691. Thankfully, no new deaths, so that number holds at 213. 37 people are in hospital. That's up five. 15 patients are in ICU. 5,100 people are considered fully recovered, leaving us with 1,378 active cases and over 3,100 people in isolation at the moment. Bring in Keith Baldry now. Keith, we've had polls showing a great deal of support for the Premier and how mm -hmm. he's handled the crisis. 
And there are rumors of a fall election that might piggyback on some of that success. <laughs> Premier Horgan was asked about that today and gave a very interesting answer. Yeah, the rumors won't go away. Uh, he opened the door here, the Premier did, a few weeks ago when he talked about uh, a fall election being an opportunity to uh, perhaps uh, come up with a majority government. Today he was asked about what about that supply agreement, that confidence in supply agreement you signed with Green Party leader Andrew Weaver and the rest of the Green Caucus back in 2017, enabled to, which enabled him to form government. He says a lot has changed since then, so he seems to be opening the door for arguing that CASA is no longer, uh, that he's no longer obliged to support that uh, so again, either he's toying with us and having some fun at a reporter's expense, or he's genuinely thinking about having that snap vote this fall. Here's the Premier's response. Certainly, uh, we've uh, had great success uh, here in British Columbia over the past three years with a collaborative approach to governing, uh, working with the Green Caucus. You know full well that the Green Caucus today is not the Green Caucus of three years ago. Uh, you will also know that the vast majority of the elements of CASA have been realized. Uh, and you will also know that nowhere in that document uh, will you see the word pandemic. So the world we live in today is not the world of 2017. And uh, I know that British Columbians want me to focus on 2020 and beyond rather than looking backward uh, to a relationship I had with uh, the then leader of the Green Party and his colleagues. Uh, and, and that's my focus, quite frankly. Now, this speculation is not going to go on forever. In fact, it's going to end soon because I don't think he can go into an election campaign in November because that's when the flu season starts. So really, we're looking at if there is an election, it'll be sometime in October, 28-day campaign. You count backwards from that. Really, he's got to, if he's going to call it, it's within the next two, maybe three weeks at the outside. And then we'll, if he's not calling it, we'll speculate about something else. <laughs> no doubt about that. All right. Thanks All right. very much, Keith. Well, while restaurants have not been ordered closed under the new rules announced on Tuesday, many are still reeling from the new restrictions placed on their operations. As John Waugh reports, many owners say the new rules on serving alcohol are pulling the rug out from underneath them just as they were getting back on their feet. The daily ritual of opening Gringo begins right before the lunch rush. But the real business at this Gastown restaurant starts when the sun goes down and the drinks are served. 80% of our business happens between 8 o'clock and midnight. We were just about to extend our hours to our maximum license, which is 1 a.m. and 2 a.m. That dream went down the drain, with new provincial restrictions barring restaurants from serving alcohol after 10 p.m., ordering them to shut down by 11 unless they offer full meal service. It's gutting. It, it really is. The, the minute that that presser came out, you know, you're, you just sort of stare at a wall blankly for 30 minutes, just trying to figure out if you can even stay open. With many restaurants on the brink of survival, this latest blow might push some over the edge. That last couple of hours of the night is the difference between profit and bankruptcy. BC's provincial health officer says she understands the struggle, but is standing firm. Part of my role is to ensure that when we have risky venues, that we take the actions that are needed to, to, um, to decrease those risks. Some business owners argue the proper action should have been more inspections and better enforcement, instead of blanket restrictions affecting all restaurants. Enforcement didn't happen early enough, and it hasn't been strong enough. Um, I know that the provincial government doesn't want to pay for it. With this latest hit, the industry says something needs to give like extending the wage subsidy or providing rent relief. You can't just keep you know, putting more and more pressure and restricting a business and expect that it's going to survive. At Gringo, instead of a plan to extend its hours, a much shorter day has them worried. It really does feel like we're being kicked when we're down. 
as some restaurants are sent one step closer to a financial last call. John Hua, Global News. Vancouver Coastal Health is announcing four new potential COVID-19 exposures. They include the One Plus, sorry, U Plus One electronic music event that took place in the Granville and Helmkin area. That was the night of August 29th. The others were at the Athens Cultural Club on Broadway between August 26th and September 8th. Another was at the West Pub on Carroll Street between August 20th and September 8th. The fourth exposure was at the Flying Beaver Bar and Grill in Richmond. That was between August 28th and September 3rd. All of the exposures are believed to be low risk, but anyone who was at those locations on the specified dates is urged to self-monitor for symptoms. A couple exchanged I do's today at the Peace Arch Park. People living on nearby Zero Avenue in South Surrey say they are seeing several weddings a week. Prior to COVID-19 restrictions, neighbors say the park was usually empty. Now the weddings are growing in size. With banquet halls now shut down, neighbors will likely see more larger weddings move to the park. It's like I've been here for 27 years and uh, the park is maybe one or two people a day in it. And recently it's hundreds and hundreds. We're not looking at closing the park and things like that. But it's very helpful if they follow the rules and, uh, you know, they're the ones who are keeping the park open, not the park staff. American park rangers say they are seeing anywhere from 10 to 20 weddings happening at the Peace Arch Park every week, along with large family gatherings and birthday parties. B.C.'s hospitality industry is warning tonight that many of the province's nightclubs and banquet halls might not survive Tuesday's order to shut down once again. As Grace Key reports, one major business organization is calling on the government to reconsider the decision. Last month, this was the scene along Vancouver's Granville Strip during the middle of a pandemic. A few weeks ago on Granville Street, people couldn't get into the bars because they were at their COVID capacity, so they were partying on the street in the middle of a pandemic. Right? We knew then, like, if you continue that kind of behavior, further lockdowns are what's going to happen. And that's what Dr. Henry did. Nightclubs and banquet halls have now been shut down until further notice in an effort to reduce the spread of COVID. And despite weeks of effort by public health teams, these venues are still the source of significant risk to everybody in British Columbia. The entertainment scene is expected to be very different, and the fear is this will only drive people to underground parties. If you're in one of our establishments, we can monitor you, we can remind you, we have stringent protocols in place. I feel like we're going to be pushing this activity underground, and people are going to be having more private parties uh, and uh, large gatherings where there's no one there even doing contact tracing. The Surrey Board of Trade says jobs are at stake and more support is needed with this announcement. Without any additional government supports in terms of wage subsidy, uh, that the re commercial rental program has been so flawed. Uh, all of these supports uh, are not in place uh, for another shutdown of business. The industry feels they've abided by the regulations and are getting penalized for reckless partygoers. And instead, the focus should be on enforcement and education for young people. Grace Key, Global News. BC Ferries passengers will no longer be allowed to stay in their vehicles for the crossing starting at the end of the month. The rule requiring passengers to go up to the passenger decks was suspended back in the spring due to the pandemic. However, Transport Canada says allowing passengers to travel on the enclosed car decks 
is inherently more dangerous. To help prevent the spread of COVID-19, BC Ferry says it has implemented additional cleaning and sanitizing, along with physical distancing rules and mandatory face mask use at terminals and on board. With far fewer people flying, YVR is pulling the plug on a major expansion project. Work was well underway on the $460 million core program to upgrade the airport's heating, cooling and electrical infrastructure. Construction on a new ground transportation center and a new parkade is also canceled. The airport, the airport authority says the huge drop off in air travel means the added capacity is no longer needed. Many people are looking forward to the day when they can fly uh, again, as we did uh, pre-COVID. But of course, we take our instruction from the provincial health authorities around when it's safe to do so. And as long as there's quarantines and there's limits on international travel, I think we'll be in a a reduced passenger uh, context for, for some time to come. The project was scheduled to be finished in 2022. Now, work at the site will be halted by November. Heartbreak for a woman with a terminal illness and separated from her family. Her dying wish is a visit from her sister in the Philippines. But COVID is complicating the situation. With time running out, her husband's desperate plea for compassion in just over a minute. A stunning development in the U.S. COVID crisis and the audio recording, some say, proves Donald Trump intentionally misled the American people. Later on the news hour. And so long, we charity. Why the organization says it's shutting down Canadian operations. Right now, though, a charge of first degree murder has now been laid in connection to the death of 16 year old Michaela Chang, who went missing back in 2017. Catherine Urquhart joins us now with more on this story. And Catherine, the accused is someone we've mentioned during our coverage before. That's right, Chris. The accused is Stephen Bacon, someone who was acquainted with Michaela Chang. In August of 2019, police named him as a person of interest and were seeking public assistance in locating him. Then, several months later, he was arrested in New Brunswick for unrelated sex crimes. Chang was a student at John Barsby Secondary School in Nanaimo when she went missing in March 2017. Her remains were found two months later. The investigation, which spanned more than three years, now finally resulting in a first-degree murder charge. Uh, the fact that a first-degree murder charge um, has been placed against him, um, I think is a good thing. Uh, it's been a long time coming. We've waited over three years for, to get to this point and um, very pleased with what's happened today. This is a 16-year-old girl who died too young. Their family will never recover. We're just hoping that with the first-degree murder charges, it will provide some answers and hopefully some resolution so they can carry forward. Stephen Bacon is now in Ontario, where he remains in custody. So far, no court date has been scheduled. Chris? All right, Catherine, thanks very much for that. Now, a heartbreaking story of how the pandemic is complicating the final wish of a woman with terminal cancer. She's desperate to see her mom and sister from the Philippines, but only her mom has been granted a visa to come. And as Nadia Stewart reports, her husband is making an emotional appeal to bend the COVID travel restrictions. Charlie, I can see it in her eyes. She's just holding on to see her family. 
Arthur Santiago is holding on to hope his wife's dying wish will be granted. And when it's your last moments, you want to be with your, your family, your closest ones, you know. It's the only thing I wish for her right now so she can be with them. Sherry has uterine cancer. First diagnosed in 2018, the cancer returned this spring, spreading all throughout her body. They suggested radiation, but instead it, uh, it swells up before it shrinks. So it swelled up and creeped into her spine and um, made her um, a paraplegic. Doctors tell Arthur his wife might only have weeks left to live. Sherry wants her mom, niece, and sister by her side. Her mom has been granted entry. She arrives from the Philippines on Thursday. But her sister, Sherry's best friend, was denied. She wants to see her sister. She wants to touch her sister. She wants to hold her sister. Advocates are working tirelessly to get the denial overturned. According to the response they received from Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship Canada, the definition of immediate family members does not include siblings. It's something from a definition that's stopping us or stopping my wife to see her sister before she passes away. Sherry's mom will be in quarantine with Arthur's family once she arrives praying her daughter can hang on for the next few weeks. <sighs> Sorry. It's, yeah, I'm not sure. Today is a really bad day. But it's an embrace from her sister. Sherry is longing for most. Arthur is pleading for compassion, hoping someone in Ottawa is listening. Nadia Sir, Global News. Just ahead, a B.C. family shocked by what they found when they got home from vacation. Uh, there's glass everywhere. everywhere. The mess. The mess left behind and reaction from the community helping them recover. Also, witnesses step in to stop a road rage brawl in Kelowna caught on camera. Extra busy for southbound traffic on Highway 99 through Richmond to the Massey Tunnel due to a stall directly underneath the Steveston Highway overpass in the left lane. With two lanes of traffic merging into just one, it's slow from Blundell on the approach. For 47 years, Kermat Collision and Autoglass has provided unmatched superior customer service and satisfaction. With 18 lower mainland locations, there's a Kermac in your neighborhood. Visit Kermac.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, Hive of Highway 99 in Richmond. A disturbing discovery and disgusting cleanup for a Nanaimo family who found squatters had taken over their home while they were away on vacation. Brad McLeod shows us the damage and how the family is still trying to get their lives back in order. Pulled our shower head off the wall um, and sharpened our shower curtain rod. He went through all our food. The Greenways returned home from a family vacation in the Yukon Sunday to find their belongings discarded onto the lawn and what remained inside stained or destroyed. Friends immediately put them up in a hotel. But when the family went back to check on the house, the squatter was back. We got a report of a break and enter in progress. We had a lot of officers on scene. We didn't know what we're getting into. Police broke down the door. A dog was sent in. And 40-year-old Sean Damien Kalai was arrested. A man with a laundry list of previous charges including weapons and robbery. Kalai was treated in hospital for puncture wounds. The Greenway's four small children are having a hard time with the fact Kunai 
was caught in their bedroom closet, and the parents left dealing with a sense of violation. For my husband, it was finding our marriage certificate torn into. Hey, they stole his wedding ring that's gone. Um, for me, it was finding their stuffed animals with all the voice boxes cut out. A GoFundMe page has been set up for the family because they didn't have any renter's insurance. This is everything we've got left. People of Nanaimo have already stepped up. The family has already received mattress donations. A nearby school organized a cleanup. I think they were surprised at just how much the community cares. And that canine unit which apprehended the criminal in the closet well, an officer paid a visit. For the kids, the, the canine unit, the dog that saved them. <laughs> a new sense of community the family desperately needs. Sweet. So nice. Brad McLeod, Global News, Nanaimo. A surprising sight for motorists in Kelowna after a fight broke out in the middle of a busy highway. There's a scrapper. It happened Friday evening along Highway 97 near Leithhead Road. The incident, caught on camera, shows an apparent case of road rage, a motorcycle rider and driver throwing punches at one another. It's not clear what started the altercation, but witnesses stepped in to help break it up. We certainly don't often see two people getting out of their vehicles and engaging in a, a full-on fist fight in front of a crowd of people that are witnessing it. Um, that being said, we do get a fair amount of complaints of general kind of road rage, people yelling, potentially throwing things, stuff like that. And unfortunately, uh, hotheads tend to rule the day when we have busy roads. RCMP are asking the two men involved to come forward. No charges have been laid so far. A group of campers visiting Penticton last week say they were victims of discrimination kicked out of the campground in a move they believe was racially motivated. Even other campers thought it was unfair, but the campground has a different story. Global's Megan Turcato has more. People should not be treated like that anymore. Malik Penniston's family was among a group of campers who were asked to leave a Penticton campground last week. I just felt really, really bad. The group of three families from the Lower Mainland had planned to camp at Wrights Beach Camp for a week. But one morning, partway through their stay, they were told they had to leave. He said that they got a noise complaint about us from the night before. The hardest part, though, was being singled out for doing the same thing that other campers were doing. Our neighbours, um, you know, for three or four sites besides us, were all white. They were all having music, having guests over, laughing, talking, as you should on your vacation. Claver feels her group was discriminated against. Well, given the fact that um, out of the 12 people there, uh, three were white, uh, the remainder are black or biracial, and given the fact that we were the only group singled out for, um, you know, noise or whatnot, it, it is my truly belief um, that it's racially motivated. The eviction, an emotional blow to the families. Yeah, it was quite sad. It's 2020, so we thought it would be better by now, but it's not. So hopefully things will change. Global News made several requests for interviews with the campsite operators. However, we only received statements. In the statements, the operators say that they don't tolerate loud music and that this group was asked to leave after it accumulated six noise warnings over its multi-day stay. <laughs> and they weren't the only ones evicted. 
According to operators, another campsite was also evicted during the same week. In fact, operators say this season a number of customers were asked to leave because of noise issues. But other campers staying at the site feel Claver's group was singled out. One neighboring camper said in most instances her group was louder. We were the ones beside them. We were way louder than they were. We were the ones, you know, we had music. We had our kids all out there. We were laughing, having fun. As for whether the group's treatment was racially motivated, the campground issued a response saying, quote, discrimination is against our values and policies. We at Wrights Beach Camp do our best to promote a positive experience for all of our guests and to ensure rules and enforcement are communicated clearly, proactively and equally. While the group members say they left disturbed, they were touched by the response they got from other campers. The kindness um, that the other campers in the campground showed us is what really made us get through it. Megan Tricato, Global News. Up next, bombshell audio recordings of Donald Trump. It's also more deadly than your, you know, your even your strenuous flus. This is Proof he misled the American people about the threat from COVID-19. And two versions of the same story after this dispute over masks on a WestJet flight. We have the much better option for you out of Richmond into Delta. Traffic is moving really well, both north and south at the Alex Fraser Bridge, unlike the Massey Tunnel, which is dealing with a stall southbound just before the north end in the right lane. Need to renew your car insurance? Call BCAA to save, get better coverage, or both. Visit bcaa.com slash ICBC. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. The charity caught up in a government scandal says it's abandoning Canadian operations. The WE charity, known for its message of youth empowerment, is blaming COVID-19 and the political fallout from the Liberal government scandal. Brothers Craig and Mark Kielberger are also planning to step down from the organization they co-founded. The charity found itself at the center of a political firestorm after it was awarded a multi-million dollar contract to deliver the Canada Student Service Grant. The decision to award WE that contract came under fire after the charity's ties to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and his family were revealed. More explosive developments tonight in the controversy over Donald Trump's handling of the COVID-19 crisis in the U.S. This time, in his own words, Trump is admitting he's been downplaying the severity of the pandemic. The bombshell revelations come in a new book from Bob Woodward, in which President Trump says he intentionally downplayed the severity of the coronavirus in public to avoid triggering a panic. In his book, Woodward writes that on January 28th, The president's national security advisor warned him the virus outbreak in China was the biggest national security threat you will face in your presidency. In audio excerpts released by The Washington Post, the president revealing to Woodward on February 7th a surprising level of detail. It goes through air, Bob. That's always tougher than the touch. You just breathe the air. That's how it's uh, passed. And so that's a very tricky one. That's a very delicate one. Uh, It's also more deadly than your... You know, you're even your strenuous flus. This is deadly stuff. Three days later, he was saying this publicly. You know, in theory, when it gets a little warmer, it 
miraculously goes away. I hope that's true. And this on February 26th. You do certain things that you do when you have the flu. I mean, view this the same as the flu. On March 19th, in another taped conversation with Woodward, admitting he was deliberately downplaying the danger. Well, I think, Bob, really, to be honest with you... Sure, I want you to I wanted to... I wanted to always play it down. I still like playing it down. Yes, sir. Because I don't want to create a panic. The president today defending his comments. We don't want to instill panic. We don't want to jump up and down and start shouting uh, that we have a problem that is uh, a tremendous problem, scare everybody. And I'll tell you the other thing. We immediately started buying all over the world. We started buying uh, masks and gowns and everything else. And we don't want to cause uh, pricing to go up. But Joe Biden blasting the president's comments as a dereliction of duty. He knew how dangerous it was. And while this deadly disease ripped through our nation, he failed to do his job on purpose. It was a life and death betrayal of the American people. An unexpected wake-up call for passengers aboard a red-eye WestJet flight from Calgary to Toronto this week. The flight was grounded over a mask dispute involving a child. And while the family has one version of events about what happened, WestJet has another. Global's Miranda Anthesel reports. The loud cries of a young child can be heard on board WestJet Flight 652 after they were told to put on a mask. The flight bound for Toronto early Tuesday morning never left Calgary. The airline says it was cancelled because the child's parents refused to put a mask on their older child. The Chowdhury family was travelling with a three-year-old and a 19-month-old and alleged the flight crew tried to force their youngest daughter to wear a mask. But according to WestJet, our crew informed the adults of the regulations we are required to follow. The guests refused to comply. It is important to clarify that WestJet did not request the infant under the age of two to wear a mask. Transport Canada rules state masks are mandatory for children two and above. In this case, there are conflicting arguments over the age of the child, but whether 19 months or three years old, it has some asking how reasonable it is to ask a toddler to put on a face covering for a lengthy amount of time. It's impossible. Like, it's impossible if you literally try to put an experiment and put it on a, a younger, on a two years old, it, it's almost impossible to do that. Oh, we can try and you would see how fast it would come off. I've tried myself and it's the ripping off and it's the tearing off. WestJet says it's just following rules. And while the situation on board flight 652 was regrettable, the airline is committed to safety and obligated to follow federal regulations. The Chowdhury family is adamant their oldest child was wearing a mask. Air passenger rights advocate Gabor Lukacs believes they should take legal action. There are rules which are in place which are important and uh, they were put in place for a reason, but that's not an invitation for WestJet to abuse the rules, to give a power trip to innocent passenger. WestJet says it has enforced a zero-tolerance mask policy since last Tuesday, September the 1st. As with many things during the pandemic, some say it takes time to adjust to the new normal and get used to traveling during COVID-19. You know, with parenting, nothing happens overnight. You know, you just kind of, so I guess my advice would be, you know, definitely maybe practice mask wearing, like at home, you know, getting them used to it. So when it's time to travel, the trip can go as smoothly as possible. Miranda Anthesel, Global News. Still to come, eerie images of California's wall of fire. Up and down the coast, residents contemplate a future where massive fires like this are the new normal. 
And the envelope, please. Big changes to the Oscars to encourage more diversity. A wind-whipped wildfire flares in Northern California, prompting more evacuation orders and warnings. This is the Bear Fire, which jumped a river yesterday. It's part of the North Complex fire that's burned more than 25,000 hectares, including a number of homes since mid-August. It is a nightmare scenario in parts of the U.S. as wildfires scorch hundreds of thousands of hectares of land and threaten entire towns across several states. Many are dealing with some of the worst fires in recorded history. Global's Reggie Cicchini has the latest. Across California, a nearly impenetrable wall of fire exists in dozens of counties. The Creek Fire is the largest and still almost entirely uncontained, leading to several aerial rescues with campers trapped in remote campgrounds. The pilots have been challenged by visibility most of all. The smoke has been very thick. Near San Diego, the Valley Fire rages on, uncontrolled, forcing entire communities to flee as it approaches. We have a sleeping giant that is in the backcountry. More than 800,000 hectares of land across the Golden State have been reduced to charred rubble and ash. California is dealing with its second, third, and fourth largest fires in history. This is insane. In Oregon, a rare outburst of wildfires fueled by winds in excess of 120 kilometers an hour. The conditions are so ripe for fires to explode, firefighters have been pulled from duty. On Tuesday, the state's governor predicting a dire warning that decisions from the past will spell disaster going forward. With the growing impacts of climate change, it's likely that this once-in-a-generation wind event in areas not typically at high risk for wildfire will become more common. Further up the coast, arid weather has left Washington state a tinderbox. Flames becoming so intense, the map might need to be redrawn after the town of Malden, 45 minutes south of Spokane, was obliterated. While south of Seattle, we're losing options of even getting out, so that's why we're getting concerned. The Bonnie Lake fire has already destroyed multiple homes in a wildfire season worse than the last 12, and one that still has months to play out. Reggie Chikini, Global News. Pretty hot and dry around here, too. In fact, record set in some areas. We'll check in with Christy Gordon right now for a look at our forecast. Hi, Christy. Hi, Chris. Yes, you're exactly right. Records broken today. I'll show you the numbers in a second. I just want to quickly mention fire danger rating here climbing. You know, we've had a fairly good season considering, but it is climbing significantly. And we now have eight fires that have been person caused. So be really, really careful. We have no major rain in the forecast right through until next week. All right, here's a look at your record temperatures. Yes, Lillooette being the hottest at 40, sorry, 34.2 degrees today. Agassiz just behind at 33.5. Chilliwack breaking a record. Same for Port Alberni, and I'll show you four more here. So incredible heat right across the province, and there are likely a number of other ones that we don't have the numbers for at this time, but we'll see tomorrow likely. Here's a look at the temperatures. Uh, not a huge range between the actual temperature and the humid X levels because the humidity was fairly low, but still away from the water in hope, about 34 with that humid X. And here's a look at the numbers in the interior today. So the real hot spots were in that Whistler, Lytton, and Lillooet region. So uh, Smoky Skies Bulletin likely going to continue through the day tomorrow, so expect that. Temperature
temperatures are going to begin to drop after tomorrow for Metro Vancouver, but for those of you in the interior, we'll likely see it continue through a good part of the weekend. So expect that hot, dry weather to continue. And as I mentioned, no major rain expected until later or into mid middle of next week. So there's your forecast for your Thursday, everyone, and your seven-day forecast for the Metro Vancouver show. Sunshine and heat for the next little while. Yes, local spoke, though, is expected tomorrow. And here's your central windows weather window for tonight. A look out over Vancouver from Jeff Wilson. This is actually Sophie's neighbor. So thanks for sending it in, Jeff. Great shot. <laughs> Great shot. All right. Thanks, Jeff. And thank you, Christy. All right. Uh, let's check in with Squire now for a look ahead of what's coming up in sports. Okay. So uh, they aren't ready to play just yet, but the BC Hockey League is making plans to do so. It is nice to have the ice back in. What their plan is to have a season this season. Also coming up a little later, a new look for the Oscars, hoping to bring more color to the competition. It's never easy being the defending champions. Let's check in and see well, what happened with the Especially Raptors. when your best leads for L.A. Exactly. Because you don't often win in the NBA, at least not the championship, without a superstar. So the Raptors are going to have to do this as a team this year. We have said this many times before over the years. Momentum is a fickle friend, especially in the playoffs. You win one game easily, and the next game is completely different. Game five, Raptors-Celtics. Celtics dominated Toronto. Everyone thought, okay, that's it. Raptors are done. Boston just has to win one more. But the Raptors are not going away easily. They do hold the trophy. And they have that guy, Kyle Lowry. I think this team... He's got some playoff chops, doesn't he? Is that that five spot? Yep. That's pretty good, even though the Raptors were down in the first half. Raptors up by one, tough three, gets it to go. Now, Toronto should have won this game in reg, but in the last four-plus minutes, they couldn't score. Boston gets this from Daniel Tice, and it goes to overtime. In OT, Norman Powell with a chance to be OG Ananobi. Last shot for the win. Ugh. But Powell in the double overtime session. Steal. He's going all the way here. And Toronto has forced a game seven on Friday. Raptors are not done yet. What about the Islanders? They got beat easily in game one by Tampa Bay. Would it be as easy in game two? Probably not. We just told you momentum doesn't hang around that long. Matt Martin scores to make it one nothing for New York. Victor Hedman, though, from the point, off the post, back of the net. They're in the second. It is 1-1. Well, the pandemic has made every business have to get more creative than it ever could have imagined. Sports, obviously, has been one business that's really had to do contortions to keep itself going this year. That's not just true for the pro leagues, but the junior leagues as well. For example, the BC Hockey League. It's definitely good to be back for us. Um, this summer, we had no idea what was going on. But for us to just get back, uh, be around the players, be around the environment, it's, it's awesome for us. Even though it looks a little bit different, we're still super happy to be back. The Chilliwack Chiefs are one of a handful of BC Hockey League teams conducting full-scale training camps in preparation of a possible shortened season starting the first week of December. We've been waiting for this for a while, so it's, uh, it's good. It's good for everyone, I think, not only physically but mentally to have... Uh, uh, everyone back and uh, getting a little bit back in the roll of things. Right corner. 
Plays it behind the net now for Joss. He's going to try it. Oh, he scores it. The Michigan for the hat trick. Thursday, the BC Hockey League's Board of Governors will vote on whether or not to play an abbreviated season believed to be between 30 and 40 games long. The league is also making full face shields mandatory. You're looking at what every player except goalies will be sporting come December. The other big change involves the serious chunk of change that goes into running a franchise. To help offset significant financial losses that teams are going to incur, for the first time ever in league history, players will be paying an undisclosed fee to play junior hockey this season. There will be a player, a player fee this year. Um, and I know teams have worked with their players, be transparent what that is and, and what that will look like. Um, and there really hasn't been, been much pushback. I think families are, are understanding what, what the scenario is. Returning to the rink seven months after the BC Hockey League was forced to cancel its season is both a privilege and a huge responsibility that organizations, coaches and players aren't taking lightly. Face masks are mandatory for players and staff when they're not on the ice. Dressing room space is social distanced, and everyone undergoes daily temperature checks. On the ice, each player has their own water bottle. It's not quite normal, but close enough. It's, it's definitely in my head, and it's, it's prevalent, I think, in everyone's. But, um, you know, we definitely we, we want to have a season. We want to, you know, try and put as many fans in this ring. So, you know, I think we're definitely going to try our best to, you know, again, abide by those guidelines and, you know, try and stay as safe and healthy as possible. U.S. Open Serena Williams will be 39 later this month against uh, Svetlana Perenkova, who won the first set. But look at this rally in the third set. It doesn't matter how old Serena is. It doesn't matter how much tennis she's played. She still has an engine that just keeps on running. Uh-oh. Yeah, that pretty much says it all. Match point for Serena Williams off to the 39th. Grand Slam semifinal oh, of her absolutely amazing, incredible career. There you go. What an athlete. All right. Thanks, Squire. Here's Jay Durant now, the preview of Global News at 11. Jay. Thank you, Chris. We'll have more tonight on a murder charge late in the death of a Nanaimo teenager three years ago. Plus, an arrest has been made in a violent attack that occurred outside of Surrey Skytrain Station this afternoon. And Vancouver Coastal Health has announced four more potential COVID-19 exposures. They include a couple of bars, a gym, and an electronic music event. Details on those stories when you join us tonight at 11, Chris. Sounds good. Thanks very much, Jay. And when we come back, why the Oscars will never be the same. And a lot of people say that's a good thing. Night in film, the Oscars are making an historic change, adding new criteria films must meet in order to be eligible in the Best Picture category. As Mike Armstrong reports, the goal is to improve diversity and inclusion on both sides of the camera. There have always been criteria for a movie to be considered for Best Picture, and some of them are a little strange. For example, it has to have been advertised, specifically in Los Angeles, on something like a billboard. Well, the new criteria announced Wednesday have a more obvious goal. The Academy wants to increase the presence and visibility of women, people from racial or ethnic groups, the LGBTQ plus community, and people with cognitive or physical disabilities. And I want to thank everyone for joining us. The Oscars released a series of videos over the last week explaining how too often the industry comes up short. 
cinema is really, it's like the, the home movie of the world, isn't it, really? It's where we go and we see ourselves, and we're not there. And when we are there, we're horribly misrepresented. Got room for one more. Now, it's not the highest bar to have to get over. There are four new criteria for a movie to be considered in the best picture category, and it only has to meet two of them. The first is on screen. Standard A sets a threshold for actor representation and storyline. The rest are behind the camera. Standard B is about the film's creative leadership and project team. Standard C is about internships and training opportunities. And D is about the group behind the marketing, publishing, and distribution. This move comes after years of controversy and criticism. The recent Oscars So White campaign even made it into the broadcast. Tonight we honor Hollywood's best and whitest, sorry, brightest. They finally listened. Elamea Tailfeathers says the Academy may have been pushed, but it's a positive step. The Indigenous filmmaker says when people from her community aren't seen on screen or on set, it isn't a lack of voices or talent, it's a lack of opportunity. This pushes production companies to not be lazy in the way that they hire, in the way that they operate. We'll take care, ladies. Tailfeather says she hopes in 10 years to have the freedom white men have to talk simply about their work, instead of having to talk over and over about difficulties getting work. Mike Armstrong, Global News, Montreal. I think we're all hoping for that day, for sure. Uh, Okay, last word on weather before we go, and it looks like a beautiful evening out there, Christy. Oh, yeah. So we'll likely feel the warmth right into the evening hours, Chris. And again, tomorrow as we reach highs likely away from the water up to about 31 degrees. Still some local smoke expected, but enjoy that sunshine nonetheless. Sure will. All right. Thanks very much for watching, everybody. Have a good night.